We read from Scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Continue the story of Mary. The text is verses 39 through 45, which we will read once. We're going to begin reading at verse 39 and read through verse 66. This is God's Word. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord." And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. When Mary was speaking to the angel Gabriel, she did not ask for a sign. As part of what sets her apart from Zacharias, who in the weakness of his faith asked for a sign. But Mary simply believed the word of God with the heart of a servant, 
Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, she said. But God gave Mary a sign anyway. And I think it often goes that way in the Christian faith. God does not give out signs to satisfy our curiosity or to set aside our skepticism or to put us in the position of His judge. Rather, He gives signs to those who believe in order to strengthen the faith that is already there. In the case of Mary, He gave a sign to fill her with even greater wonder and joy at the works that He was doing in her and around her at this time. The sign that Mary was given was hinted at already by the angel Gabriel in verse 36 when he said, Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. It was a wonder of God that Elizabeth was able to conceive a child in her womb, she who was called barren and called barren for a reason. Elizabeth was an old woman by this time and was past the point of fertility. Women do not get pregnant at the age that Elizabeth was at this time. But with God, of course, nothing shall be impossible, as Gabriel says. We understand then why Mary packed her bags right away and went to visit her older relative. She wanted to see with her own eyes the things that God was doing and to have her own faith confirmed. When Mary arrived on the doorstep of Elizabeth, then she was given a still more wonderful sign that surprised also Elizabeth. The baby that was growing in Elizabeth's womb, who had been pregnant now for six months or so, leaped for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. And then Elizabeth herself was moved by the Spirit to speak the blessing of God on this new mother, Mary, and on the child who was now growing in Mary's womb. Call our attention this evening to the leaping babe in Elizabeth's womb. The leaping babe in Elizabeth's womb. First, we will identify this sign and its significance. Secondly, the prophecy that is spoken from the mouth of Elizabeth that accompanies this sign And finally, and once again, the faith of Mary who receives this sign and believes the word of the Lord, the leaping babe in Elizabeth's womb. It seems only a short time after Gabriel left that Mary goes on a journey to visit her cousin, her relative, Elizabeth. Verse 39 simply says that Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. The hill country is the mountainous region that is in the southern part of Palestine, which was quite a few miles away from Nazareth, which was up in Galilee in the northern part of Palestine. Mary was likely traveling on foot or at the most on a donkey. So with haste, probably still means a couple of days or more before she can get to the house where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. So enough time has transpired for the word of God by the angel Gabriel to begin fulfilling within Mary. 
Sometime in those days, mentioned in verse 39, a mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit began to transpire within Mary's womb, within her body. She conceived. She conceived a tiny clump of cells that today we would call an embryo began to develop in her womb. And that embryo growing in Mary's womb was the eternal Son of God who assumed a real human nature. We know this to be the case because Elizabeth later calls Mary the mother of my Lord. The mother of my Lord. He also says, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, implying that that fruit was already there, already developing within her womb at the time this meeting takes place. It is the presence then of this growing child in Mary's womb that gives meaning and significance to this whole event. When Mary arrived at the house of Zacharias where Elizabeth lived, she then spoke a greeting, a salutation out loud. Verse 40, And Mary entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. We're not told exactly what Mary said, but you can imagine how this might have gone. There was no doorbell on the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth. There was no cell phone that Mary possessed that she could have used to call ahead to warn Elizabeth that she was coming. There was no such thing as a text message unless it was written down on a piece of papyrus and sent ahead by a messenger. Mary simply arrived on the doorstep of Elizabeth after a long journey to see a relative who did not know that she was coming. And now she calls out a greeting, a salutation to announce the fact that she's there. She probably said something like this, Hello, I'm here. Is anybody home? Or maybe because she was a Jewish girl living in first century Palestine, she would have said something like, Shalom! Shalom! Hello, I'm here! Shalom was the greeting, and it means peace. Well, Elizabeth was home at the time. We wouldn't expect her to be anywhere else when she's more than six months pregnant. And keep in mind that this house that she lived in was probably much smaller than the kinds of houses that we're used to. Maybe one room, maybe two rooms, with doors and windows that would have been open in that drier, warmer climate in order to keep it cool inside and to invite breezes inside. So Elizabeth probably saw Mary approaching the house, walking up to the front door, And she heard her greeting very clearly, very distinctly. And then she felt something very unusual. Now every woman who's ever been pregnant knows what it feels like to have a baby moving around within the womb. Especially a child that's six months along or even further along, is going to be kicking and squirming and making its presence known by the movement within the womb. You can maybe even place your hand on the womb and feel that baby moving around inside. It's in the absence of such movement that mothers get worried and begin to wonder if something is wrong because that movement is the sign that there is a living child 
in that womb. But what Elizabeth felt in her womb at this moment was not the natural movement that takes place in the womb when a child is growing. What happened in Elizabeth's womb was noteworthy exactly because it was so unusual. That's what makes a sign a sign. It's unusual. And this is what we read in verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The baby... John, as he would later be called, leaped in her womb. Exactly what that felt like for Elizabeth, we'll probably never know, but it was something unusual. He leaped. And what made it extra surprising is that this happened as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary speak. The sound of Mary's voice entered her ears. Hello, is anybody home? Shalom. And right in that instance, right in that instant, the babe leaped in her womb as if the babe had been excited by the sound of Mary's voice. Elizabeth understood immediately what had just happened as well. The baby growing in her womb had leaped, not just spontaneously, but the babe had leaped for joy. For joy at the coming in the presence of Mary, as Mary puts her footstep on her doorstep and sounds out her greeting. This was a sign from God, in other words, and a sign not only about the child in Elizabeth's womb, but a sign about Mary and the child that was growing in her womb. Now just think for a minute about what the story tells us about what was in Elizabeth's womb. Look at verse 41 and verse 44. In both of those verses, that thing that was in Elizabeth's womb is given a certain designation. It's called a babe. A baby. Not a fetus. Not a clump of tissue, a babe. It's the same word that is used later in Scripture to describe the newborn child Jesus. In Luke 2, verse 12, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, knows no difference between a babe that is lying in a crib wrapped in swaddling clothes, independent of its mother's body or a babe that's still kicking and growing within its mother's womb. The creature in Elizabeth's womb was a living human being, a person, a person with a body and a soul and emotions. He leaped for joy. This was not an involuntary spasm or a spontaneous fit of kicking. It was a leap of joy, his joy, his personal joy. Not Elizabeth's joy, although she surely was joyful too to see Mary coming up to her door, but the joy of the babe. 
people today want to say that a babe like that does not really become a person until delivery happens. And that child comes out of the womb. Up until that point, it's not a person. Only after the child is delivered does it become a person. So they say. But the Scripture says, in the womb, little John experienced human, personal, spiritual joy. Beloved, we have to be realistic about the world that we live in and the effect that it has on us and on our children and on our young people. You would probably never know if a young woman sitting here tonight was taking something like the morning after pill. You'd probably never hear about it if such a young woman was getting pressure from a boyfriend to go and abort a child that is growing and developing in her womb because that boyfriend is worried about his reputation. You probably would never hear about it because this would be kept quiet and it would be done in the utmost secrecy. The abortion clinics themselves encourage this kind of anonymity so that nobody has to face the fact of what is actually happening in an abortion, namely that a human being is being destroyed, murdered in cold blood. But I would ask any young woman, any Christian young woman who is sitting here tonight, whoever entertains the possibility of taking something like the morning after pill, which destroys an embryo, or who would ever entertain the possibility of going to the abortion clinic. And I would ask a young man who would ever consider the possibility of putting pressure on his girlfriend to create an abortion in order to cover up what he irresponsibly did, before you go through with that, please read Luke 1 and read the story of John the Baptist, little John, not even having his name yet, but very much alive, very much human, very much filled with emotion and joy in his mother's womb. Read that story. Whatever the world may say about exercising choice, whatever pressure you may feel to hide the unintended consequences of illicit behavior, it's not worth destroying the life of a child. It's not. The child in the womb is a human life knit together by the unseen hand of God in a marvelous way. And it's not your prerogative or anybody else's prerogative to kill that child. It's not. But we must also understand about this particular babe, though, the one in Elizabeth's womb, is that it was not mere human joy that made him leap. What took place in Elizabeth's womb was prompted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Notice that when the babe leaped 
in Elizabeth's womb, she was also filled with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's not as though those things happened chronologically separate from one another, but they happened at precisely the same moment. So the same movement of the Holy Spirit that prompted Elizabeth to prophesy was the movement of the Holy Spirit that prompted that babe to leap for joy in her womb. And there's an amazing testimony in this story, therefore, to the truth that God loves and God saves little children as little children. What we are witnessing in the womb of Elizabeth is the effect of regeneration on a child that has not even been born yet. That child did not have to grow up and make a decision for Christ for the Holy Spirit to come upon him. That child did not have to become an adult and have a mystical conversion experience to be made alive to the kingdom of heaven. That child did not even need a fully developed body or a fully developed brain in order for the embrace of God's grace to reach him down there in the darkness of his mother's womb. The joy that made him leap was a spiritual joy that arose from the presence of the Savior who came to meet him down there in the darkness. The joy was the joy of Christ that was upon him, upon this tiny little human soul there in his mother's womb, not even born yet. Now the Lord speaks here in a profound way to the Christian mother. perhaps especially to the Christian mother who has felt those kicks and movements in her womb and then later felt those kicks go still. Have you experienced the grief of a miscarried child? Have you wondered what the little voice of your child might have sounded like if ever given the chance to speak? Very difficult. Surely something that some of us here have experienced to lose a child in the womb. Or maybe it wasn't in the womb. Maybe the child was born lived for a few days, maybe weeks, and then was taken in infancy. God speaks to such mothers and fathers through the example of John. He tells us that his hand is not so short that he's unable to reach our children down there in the darkness. The same hand that knits that little body and that little soul together in the womb is also able to breathe spiritual life there and regeneration there and is able to take that little soul right out of the darkness of the womb into heavenly glory. He's able to do that. Believing parents have no reason to doubt, as the canons say, that their children who die in infancy are saved. Saved by the same Savior, Jesus Christ, who once received little children into his arms and blessed them and said, of such, of such 
is the kingdom of heaven. Believing parents have no reason to doubt. On the contrary, they have every reason to believe that their son or their daughter who was never born was born again. Or, to speak more precisely, was regenerated. The Lord speaks here as well quite loudly to His view of covenant children in general. Should this little child who leaped in the womb at the presence of Christ be marked by the sign of the covenant when he's born? He has spiritual life. He has the Holy Spirit. He has forgiveness of his sins. He knows the Lord. Of course, he ought to receive the sign of the covenant. He has everything that that sign represents as a child. We must not underestimate what's going on in the little hearts and souls and minds of our covenant children. They must be taught, of course. They must be disciplined and instructed and admonished and and challenged. And we mustn't take for granted that they understand the gospel. It needs to be taught to them. But understand, beloved, that very often the children of believers come into this world with God's claim already engraved into their souls. They're His children. And you need to think of them that way and treat them that way and pass on to them the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the very Christ who made that little John the Baptist in his mother's womb leap for joy. The leaping babe in Elizabeth's womb was a profound sign from God, a sign to Mary and a sign to us of his love of children and of his salvation of them. Regarding this, then, Elizabeth, moved by the Spirit, opened her mouth. She began to prophesy. Now, in some ways, we ought to see Elizabeth prophesying as the first witness of John the Baptist. It's not an accident that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit even as the babe leapt in her womb. Those two things happened simultaneously. And Elizabeth herself connects them when she explains this to Mary in verse 44. Lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. God brought the babe in Elizabeth's womb into the world in order to to perform a specific calling. This child, who would later be called John, is to be the forerunner who points out the Christ. As an adult, that's what he's going to do. He's going to point out the Christ. He will carry out this calling as a prophet. And as Jesus will explain, really, John the Baptist was the last of the prophets, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Prophets, because he's the one who finally was able to stand there and say, That's him. The one whom all these prophets have been speaking of, he's right there. The angel Gabriel said to Zacharias that this child will be great and will be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you look back at verse 15, will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Which is to say that John was beginning to carry out his prophetic task of pointing out the Christ even before he was born, even from his mother's womb. 
This event is the first act in the ministry of John the Baptist, which will not be concluded until John literally stands there and points out the Christ and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In some sense, this is John's prophecy. But we should not overlook the fact that Elizabeth herself is filled with the Spirit and begins to prophesy. I make a special point of that because I've heard the suggestion made that Elizabeth is not really prophesying in this passage. That is sometimes the response given when this passage, our text, is pointed to as proof that women ought to be allowed to be ministers in the Christian church. Some will say, you see, Elizabeth prophesied. Elizabeth, therefore, was a prophet. And because Elizabeth was a prophet, therefore, women should be allowed to hold the special office of prophet in the church. And then the counter-argument that is sometimes given is, well, it's not really the prophecy of the female Elizabeth that was happening in this text. It's only the prophecy of the male, John the Baptist, who is in Elizabeth's womb and who is filled with the Spirit. And so Elizabeth more or less is functioning as the mouthpiece for the prophesying of, of, of John the Baptist. And as I just pointed out, there's some truth to that. This belongs to the ministry of John the Baptist. But the problem with that response, be it as it may, as a counter-argument to the, the women minister idea, but the problem with this suggestion is that the passage clearly states that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. It says that. Verse 41 and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said these things. So the Spirit filled the babe and made him leap in his mother's womb, but the Spirit also filled Elizabeth and prompted her to speak with a loud voice. The Spirit moved them both, in other words, to give a witness to the coming of the Christ child that was in Mary's womb. She's not just a mouthpiece for John the Baptist. That's the point. And Elizabeth's role in this prophecy is significant. And it's significant for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, it gives expression to the prophesying of believing women in the church. We must not be so afraid of the arguments for women in special office that we overlook the fact that women do prophesy. It's true that women are not called, called to hold the special office of pastor or prophet in the church of Christ. 1 Timothy 2 makes that abundantly clear. But it's also true that Elizabeth is not acting in special office in this passage, but she is prophesying, and beautifully so. And God is showing us through her that women in the church are given the gift of prophecy. They're anointed as believers. They have an unction from the Holy One, as John says in 1 John 2. When the Christ child in Mary's womb becomes a man and later ascends into the heaven, what's he going to do? He's going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. 
And then as Joel 2 verse 28 says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Elizabeth, as a woman in the church, filled with the Spirit, prophesies. That's significant. What's also significant is that Elizabeth, as a mother, was perhaps especially qualified for this particular prophecy. This prophecy would not have had the same effect were it Zacharias who was speaking or Joseph who was speaking. The Lord, remember, at this moment was fulfilling a promise that He had made to a woman as a woman. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What does God say? I will send the seed of the woman who will deliver my head, deliver my people by crushing the head of the serpent. The mother promise. And it's not the mother promise only because it's first and therefore gives birth to all the other promises, but it's the mother promise because it speaks about our first mother and to all believing mothers following her. Ever since that mother promise was spoken, that Eve heard, mothers in Israel were looking to the fulfillment of that promise. Perhaps from my womb, they thought. Perhaps it will be me. She shall be saved in childbearing, the apostle says in 1 Timothy 2. And that meant something to mothers in a special way in the days before Christ was born because the Savior would come through a mother. So what a beautiful moment when the Lord puts the word of this prophecy in the mouth of a mother. And not just any mother, but the mother of the forerunner. The mother of the forerunner prophesies a blessing over the mother of the Christ child. Well, what does she say? Well, first of all, what's striking about what Elizabeth says is that what she says is true. It's a true word of prophecy. And this is amazing. There's no way that Elizabeth could have known that Mary was pregnant. They lived many miles apart. Elizabeth was down there in Judah. Mary was up there in Nazareth. And Mary had only just spoken with the angel Gabriel just a few days before going on this journey. And she was not pregnant enough to be showing any signs that there was a baby growing and developing within her. She had had no time to send a message or anything of the sort. There was no texting. There was no telephone. The only exchange between Mary and Elizabeth literally was that, ex that exchange that just happened when Mary sounded out her greeting. Shalom, hello, is anybody there? And yet this is what Elizabeth says. Verse 43, And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knows. She knows that Mary is with child. It must have made Mary's jaw drop. Mary had certainly told nobody, not even Joseph, her husband-to-be. Yet here her older relative, who she probably had not spoken to in a long time, if ever, knows immediately why she has come and what has happened to her. 
You see, all of this continues to prove and to demonstrate to Mary that the finger of God is in this. The finger of God is working. Mary's encounter with Gabriel is not just some sort of strange dream that she's going to wake up from. God is performing the things that He has promised to her. God incarnate is within her, truly growing and developing in her womb and soon will be born for the salvation of sinners. The the word of prophecy Elizabeth spoke was a true word. Three other things stand out among the words of Elizabeth to Mary. First, notice her simple confession that the little child in Mary's womb was her Lord. Whence is this that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This statement is amazing. It's amazing in its humility. Jesus was little more than a pinprick in Mary's womb by this time. You probably wouldn't have even seen him if you did an ultrasound. And Mary herself was little more than a young woman, 15 years old, 16 years old, from Nazareth. But Elizabeth doesn't care about that. She falls on her face, as it were, and acknowledges that her Lord is before her. Her Lord, not Mary, but that little embryo, that little pinprick of cells in her womb. Second, what stands out about Elizabeth's prophecy and words is her humble surprise that Mary, the mother of her Lord, has come to see her Who am I? Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? There's an acknowledgement here that this is a visit Elizabeth does not deserve. And again, that's, that's, that's quite an amazing testimony of the humility of Elizabeth. You'd think that it'd be exactly the opposite. Elizabeth is the older woman. She's the wife of a priest. She's Mary's older cousin or relative Mary was probably knocking on the door wondering if Elizabeth would even know who she was. But here the roles are reversed. And Elizabeth says, Whence is this that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? And then third, there's that pronouncement of blessing that Elizabeth pronounces over Mary and the child in her womb. Blessed art thou, Mary. Blessed art thou, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Blessed, as in happy, happy art thou, but happy not only because of the feeling of happiness that may accompany these wonderful works, but happy because of who this child is and why he's being born and what he has come to do. Happy because Mary now is being caught up in the works of God, works of God for her redemption and her salvation. You're blessed, Mary. Oh, it's not always going to be feelings of blessedness. It's not always going to be feelings of happiness. You're not going to feel happy when a sword pierces through your soul. When you watch your son crucified, this very child, that child in your womb is not always going to feel happy either as he drinks the cup that his father will give him to drink, the cup of his wrath. Nevertheless, Regardless of your feelings, regardless of how you may experience it at this time or that time, you are blessed. 
You are happy, for you've been caught up into the works of God, works that he's doing for your salvation. Does this prophecy of Elizabeth resonate with your soul, beloved? We celebrate Advent, and Advent is the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord into our dark world to give us a foundation, a standing with God, to have a reconciled relationship with Him. He's come to you too. He's come to you too. Not maybe right outside your doorstep, as He did when Mary came to Elizabeth's house, but He's come to you. He said, I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, whence is this? Whence is this? That the Lord should come to me. Whence is this? Yet he does. He comes to you. He comes to you in love. He comes to you with healing under his wings. He comes to you as the Lord, as your Lord, as my Lord. And he comes to you not any longer as a child or a pinprick in his mother's womb, but he comes to you as the full-grown man, the man who has passed straight through hell and destruction itself, but then rose again to new life. He comes, and blessed is he. Blessed is every man, every woman, every child who dwells close to him and lives out of his words. And that brings us to the last thing Elizabeth said, which is where we conclude this sermon which concludes Mary, uh, concerns Mary's faith. Verse 45, And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now does that mean that the faith of Mary is the power which brings these things to pass? So that Mary was believing, and because Mary believed, her faith gave God the permission to bring these things to pass so that Christ was implanted within her womb and it was all about Mary's consent and it was all about Mary's exercise of her free will? Well, if that's true, and that's the way many think about faith, if that's true, then we should all go back to Rome and we should all bow to the image of the Blessed Virgin. For what an amazing holiness and what an amazing power and what an amazing virtue must belong to Mary who by her faith brought the Son of God incarnate into being and into the world. No, of course not. It was not Mary's faith that brought the Lord's performance of these things. The Lord was doing this regardless of Mary or her faith. Yet his work in Mary and upon Mary brought along with it all of these beautiful effects that she believed. And because of her faith and by her faith, then she was blessed, that is, happy. She was blessed not only because these things were happening to her by the Lord's work upon her, but she was a blessed, blessed because by her faith she was alive to these things. She was aware of these things. She was able to watch them unfold and to rest in them. Yes, Mary believed. She had an active faith, a vibrant faith, a living faith. 
And that active faith in Mary's soul means that she was blessed, filled with happiness and joy as she watched the Lord performing His wondrous works upon her and in her life and in the lives of those around her. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Well, beloved, do you know what it means to be blessed? Do you know what it means to be happy? This time of year, the world gives us all kinds of suggestions about what that might mean. Blessed is he who has many presents under the tree. Blessed is the family that has the perfect holiday feast in their home and all kinds of smiles and hugs. Maybe we add some of our own ideas for good measure. Blessed is he who gets a big bonus check at the end of the year. Blessed is she whose children are always well behaved and spotlessly clothed. Maybe we look at Mary and we think, blessed is she to have such a privileged position, to be so singled out, to be so remembered. But no, that's not what Elizabeth says. That's not true happiness. Those things may all be fine in and of themselves, but happiness is not to be found in them. Blessed is she that believed. Blessed is she that believed. That's the root of happiness, beloved. And not because faith is so important all by itself, but because there shall be a performance of those things which the Lord has said He would do. Blessed is he, blessed is she, blessed is the child, the young person who believed. Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that the Lord has come? That he's come for you? That he's performed those things that he said he would? Then blessed are you too. Happy are you. Whether you have much or whether you have little. Happy are you, for the Lord will perform those things that he has promised, just like he performed them for Mary and for Elizabeth. Believe it. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for this story. We're thankful for the faith that we see in Mary and in Elizabeth and in little John who leapt in his mother's womb. We pray that the same faith may be in us and in our children, that we may grow in our faith, and that through faith we may find true happiness, which is not found in things here below, but is found in the Lord, the Lord who comes, the Lord who was born, the Lord who was once a pinprick of cells in his mother's womb, but who now sits at thy right hand, preparing, ever preparing, to come again as the judge and as our head. Come, Lord Jesus. Yea, come quickly. Amen.